Hey everybody, thanks for joining us. Today we are one week away from Easter. Today is Palm Sunday. I'm excited about the season, everything that is coming, and I hope you're already making plans to join us next week on Easter Sunday in person at one of our locations. We have the service times all on the website. Make plans now uh, to be with us. But the focus isn't just on Easter next Sunday. Like I said, today is Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of what is traditionally known as Holy Week. Holy Week is that final week of Jesus's life where we trade his steps as he prepares to go to the cross and ultimately be raised on Easter Sunday. Now, something that we're going to be doing with Holy Week this coming week is every morning at 7 a.m. on our Facebook page, we are going to be dropping a short five-ish minute devotion that kind of walks us through Holy Week and prepares us for Easter. So be on the lookout for that, 7 a.m. every day this coming week on our Facebook page. Um, But when you look at Holy Week, it really does all kind of slow down. If you're reading the Gospels, any of them, they slow down when they get to Holy Week. We blow through the three years of Jesus' ministry, but in this final week, it really does seem that time almost comes to a standstill. And that is even more true when we make it to Thursday night. We slow down on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but Thursday night, time really begins to crawl at the Last Supper. So here's where we are on Thursday night. Jesus and his disciples have gone into an upper room. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. They have celebrated the Passover and really shifted their thoughts to this new covenant that Jesus was inaugurating. Judas, at this point, has left to betray Jesus. Peter has been confronted with the fact that he would deny Jesus not once, uh, not twice, three times in the coming hours. All the disciples have been told that they also are going to be scattered because the shepherd is going to be struck. And on top of all that, Jesus keeps telling his disciples over and over that he is about to go away. I'm sure That was a lot for the disciples to process. I'm sure that's why as these accounts in the Gospels have been handed down, time really slows down because we're soaking it all in, working through it all. And I'm sure in that moment at the end of the Last Supper on Thursday night that the disciples were overwhelmed. And that's why Jesus says at the end of John 14, after all of this has happened, Jesus says, hold on, let's get out of here. Let's go for a walk. And so he and the disciples, the 11 that are remaining, they get up, they leave their upper room and begin to walk through Jerusalem heading out the eastern gate. They are headed to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to pray a prayer so agonizing that he would sweat something like great drops of blood. And yet while he was praying, these disciples are going to fall asleep. And then into that garden is going to come Judas. And with Judas, the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, they're going to arrest Jesus. And the next day, he's going to be crucified. But it's on that walk between the room and the garden that Jesus talks to his disciples a little bit more. That Jesus prays with his disciples a little bit more. That he helps them understand one last time who he is what he can do, and what's coming. And that's where we are this morning in John chapter 15. This is the final I am statement in John's gospel. Now, this isn't the final I am statement in our series. We're going to touch on one more next week. But really, in his time on earth, pre-crucifixion, this is 
the final I am statement of Jesus. And this is what we read in John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Man, that, that's it, right? That, that is the final I am statement of Jesus. I am the vine. I am the true vine. And really, um, this isn't a parable. This is like all the other I am statements. This is a picture, but it is a picture that once we really understand it, it unlocks the key to what it truly means to follow Jesus. Now, at first glance, that first reading, the meaning of this picture is, is pretty straightforward, right? Jesus is telling us as his followers that he wants us to bear fruit in our lives. And the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can bear fruit is by staying connected to him. And again, that's pretty straightforward. That's not wrong. That is the point of what Jesus is trying to get across to him. He wants them to bear fruit. They bear fruit by remaining connected to him. But when we pause to kind of lean into that, push in a little more deeply, I think there's a couple questions. Number one, what does he mean by fruit? What does that mean when he says, I want you to bear fruit? And more than that, how are we supposed to stay connected to him? To what the CSB says, remain in him. What other translations say, abide in him. Over 10 times in 10 verses, Jesus says that. What does that mean? How do we do that? So I think to really get the full picture here, we need to, once again, as we have almost every week in this series, and usually should be doing every time we read the scriptures, we need some background context that helps illuminate what Jesus is saying here. You see, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, that imagery of the vine was something that was very significant to the nation of Israel. You see, the Old Testament frequently calls the people of Israel God's vine. In the poetry, in the prophets, nation of Israel is called God's vine. Now, most of these passages are going to stress how favored and privileged the vine is. They are, in fact, God's chosen people. They are called to show his glory and his power to their pagan neighbors. And through this vine, God has promised that he will bless all nations of the earth. But rather than celebrating all the good that Israel has done, these passages, these passages really reveal to us how corrupt Israel had become. Yes, they, they tell us about the privileged nature of Israel as God's vine, but they also tell us about the corruption that had crept into God's vine. 
Just for example, uh, a couple of verses, Isaiah 5.2, God looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Or in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21, God says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine? So almost every time Israel is referred to as God's vine, it's accompanied by this declaration that they had not brought forth good fruit and that God's wrath was now going to be coming on them. And their bad fruit was their disobedience to the Lord's commands. And therefore, that bad fruit, that disobedience, was bringing with it judgment. And so when a Jew in Jesus' time heard the picture of the vine, it was a reminder to them of their failure as a nation and their inability to fully and faithfully follow the Lord. But see, here... In John 15, Jesus is taking that picture and turning it on his head. He doesn't say, you are the vine. He says, I am the true vine. That word true there could be translated authentic vine, or maybe even better, I am the real vine. Just as Jesus' body is the true temple, we see in John chapter 2. As he is the true bread from heaven, we saw in John chapter 6. As he is the water that really quenches thirst, John chapter 4. The good shepherd in John chapter 10. And the life that resurrects men from the dead in John 11. So Jesus is the true vine. All the shadows of the Old Testament find their substance in him. So in short, what Jesus is doing by claiming to be the true vine, what he's saying to them is, I'm going to do what you couldn't do. I'm going to be what you couldn't be. You were God's vine. You failed. I am the true vine, and I'm going to succeed. See, this is the heart of the gospel. Jesus is entering into the failure of his people, their failure to live up to God's perfect standard, and he's telling them, guys, I've got this. I'm going to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He's rescuing this imagery of judgment, this imagery of failure, this imagery of that no matter how hard they work, no matter how hard they tried, they always fell short. He's rescuing that picture. He's teaching them that even though through their disobedience they produced bad fruit, that now through his perfect obedience they could be obedient to his father as well and produce good fruit. I'm the real vine. I'm going to do what you couldn't. And now, put that back into that context of Thursday night. Peter was going to deny Jesus. All the disciples are going to fall away. And Jesus himself said that he's not going to be with them any longer. Jesus is telling them here that even if he was leaving them, they could remain in him. And because he himself is the true vine, that as they remained in him, that they could bear fruit. They could keep living out the teachings 
and the commands of this new covenant that he was inaugurating by his blood, and thereby, through their obedience, bear good fruit that he says here in John 15, ultimately glorifies his Father. See, Jesus is telling them that in their own strength, they would fall away. But through their connection with him, just as branches to a vine, he would empower them to remain. He would empower them as a branch to do what Israel as a vine couldn't. He would empower them to bear the fruit of obedience. In fact, it is our obedience that gives ultimate evidence that we are connected to him and remaining in him. Obedience really is that acid test. If we are obedient, it is evidence that we are connected. If we are disobedient, it is evidence that we are not. But I love that idea, and I think that is the focus of what we're talking about here today. It's that Jesus empowers We have talked about so much in this series what Jesus does for us, how he satisfies us, how he guides us, how he cares for us, how he saves us. But here we're seeing that he empowers us. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we get superpowers and we can go around and perform miracles and all these things? No, 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 no. Jesus empowers us to be obedient to the Father to keep his teachings and his commands. That is what we are empowered to do. And quite honestly, that is far more miraculous than any other kind of supernatural empowerment people seek, the power to be obedient. But you see, there's, there's a tension there, right? Like when we talk about that idea of obedience and that by being connected as a branch to the vine, how Jesus empowers us to be obedient, it should create a tension in our heart, right? What does it mean when I'm not obedient, right? What, what does it mean when I fail? What does it mean when I yield into temptation? What does it mean when I blow it? What does it mean when I fall on my face? What does it mean when I look at my fruit and it's rotten? What does that mean for me? Well, Jesus empowering us to be obedient, that does not mean that we will never mess up, right? There is an empowering that comes from Jesus that is available to us constantly, but as his followers, we do not always constantly avail ourselves of that power. That too often we lean on our flesh and give in to our flesh and we fall and we fail, And just because we mess up, that doesn't mean that we still aren't connected to him. So so that's that tension, right? If obedience is evidence that we are connected, we have to be careful to think that every time we fail, every time we fall, it doesn't mean that we have lost that connection. What it does mean is just like Jesus said here that we read in John chapter 15, that we are still in need of pruning, That's how Jesus talks about it, right? He says every branch that that bears fruit is going to be pruned. You see, because God loves us, he prunes us. That pruning encourages us to bear more fruit for his glory. And I believe if these branches could speak, they would tell us, hey, look, pruning hurts. Pruning isn't fun. Pruning is painful. But that they would also tell us that through the pruning... 
they can produce more and better fruit. Let me read to you a quote by author Warren Wearsby. I love this idea. He says, Your heavenly Father is never nearer to you than when he is pruning you. Say that one more time. Your heavenly Father is never nearer to you than when he is pruning you. Sometimes he cuts away the dead wood that might cause trouble, but often he cuts off the living tissue that is robbing you of spiritual vigor. Pruning does not simply mean spiritual surgery that removes what is bad. It can also mean cutting away the good and the better so that we might enjoy the best. Yes, pruning hurts, but it also helps. We may not enjoy it, but we need it. So, this idea of being connected to Jesus doesn't mean that we are always perfectly obedient and that we never fail, but it means that as we stay connected to him over time, Jesus prunes us so that we may grow into increasing fruitfulness and increasing obedience. So then I think the question becomes, okay, well, if, if being obedient is a sign that I'm connected, but sometimes disobedience isn't a sign that I'm not connected, maybe the question we should ask is, well, when should I be worried that I might not be connected, right? When, when should then I kind of say, okay, am I still connected? When should I worry? My answer is simple. You should be worried when you're not worried. Now, I'm going to say this as plainly as I can. If you have never been convicted over your sin and disobedience, that is a sure sign that you are not and have not been connected to the vine. If you've never been pruned, you've never been connected. If you've never been convicted of sin, look, you've never been saved. So if you're not worried about this, if you're watching this and you can remain apathetic and indifferent that, oh, well, you know, who knows, maybe I'm going to, you know, that is a sign that you should be worried. Be worried if you're not worried. Be worried if your soul isn't stirred. Be worried if your heart doesn't burn. Be worried if you are not convicted and you are not pruned. If you have not been convicted of your sin, you've not been saved you got to be lost before you can be found. But I think even more on the flip side of this, if you feel like you're crushing it right now, that you're way ahead of everybody else, that you're blowing the curve, that's a sure sign of your own self-righteousness. See, you may be outwardly, obedient. You may give the appearance of obedience at least on the things that you let other people see and what you care to acknowledge about yourself. But inwardly, you are proud and pedantic. Inwardly, you are bitter and begrudging. You are only obedient in what others can see. And in those areas, you are begrudgingly obedient because you're trying to still earn your way to heaven by your righteousness. But maybe you say right now, well, well Chip, I, I know the law of the Lord and I follow it to a T. Look, a lawyer 
knows the law of the land to a T, but they know it so that they can find the loopholes in it. If you are in love with God, you will know his word, not because you're looking for loopholes, but because you know that in his word, following his word is how you can please him. And pleasing him is what you long for above all else. So true obedience is not perfect obedience, but it is an obedience that is born out of love. And that's why Jesus tells us, remain in my love. And see, that is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus empowers us to remain. That even when we fall, we get back up. Even when it gets hard, we keep grow or going. Even when we are pruned, we keep growing. So look to Him, not to yourself. Surrender to Him. Quit sitting on the throne. Desire to please Him, and He will transform you from the inside out. And from the inside out, not the outside in, from the inside out, He will empower you to bear the fruit that he desires. Why? Because he is the true vine and we are his branches. So maybe today, for the first time, you've realized that you have not been connected to that vine. Or that if you have, you have at best been trying to produce fruit in your own strength. Well, today, I would encourage you to cry out to the Lord to repent of your effort and your righteousness and to look to him to save you and to empower you. If you'd like to talk to somebody, we have people available for you to talk to right now on our online platform on Facebook. Reach out to us. Beyond that, we would love to have you meet with one of our location pastors over breakfast, coffee, lunch. Talk to them and find out how you can know for certain that you are connected to the vine and the fruit that you are bearing is good. Hey, let me pray for you, and then we'll see you on Easter Sunday. So let's pray. God, thanks for the time that you've given us today. I pray that you would use your word by your spirit to move us into a deeper relationship with you, that you would produce a greater obedience in our lives, and beyond that, that you would produce a greater desire for obedience in our lives. And God, for those who today are realizing that they are separated from you, that they have not been connected to you, God, that you would give them the courage and the boldness to reach out, to talk to someone, so that they may cry out and find new life in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.